Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Our Bible reading this morning comes from Genesis chapter 3, and we are reading from verses 1 through to verse 7. And Genesis 3, starting at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. It's good to be back. Um, Let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, please speak to us through your word today. Please help us to hear what you have to say to us. Um, But most importantly, please help us to be very brave uh, and courageous as we face some of the tough truths that we're going to look at today. Um, We ask that you that you help us realize that this is your story told for your glory. Um, And we pray all this in the name of your loving son, Jesus. Amen. So this week's been really tough for me. Uh, Last Sunday morning, we discovered something that we really weren't prepared to deal with. Uh, We're getting ready for church, just like any other Sunday. Everything seemed normal. And then we realized there is no hot water. I trust you can all empathize with me, even if it's never happened to you. Uh, I'm sure you can imagine the pain this problem brings, being forced into the decision between a cold shower and no shower. It was, it was terrible. And as I got into the car with my unwashed hair and my sour attitude, a familiar question came to me. Why do bad things happen? Now, clearly, my lack of hot water, uh, it's not that scary in today's world. Uh, In fact, many people have never known a hot shower, and they get along just fine. Uh, But we do know that bad things happen, and sometimes these things cause a lot of pain and can cause actual harm. When bad things happen, they can bring separation, loss, and even despair. So, what's the reason? If we're all in agreement that uh, bad things shouldn't happen, why do they keep happening? Why are they still around? Where do they come from, and and what do we do about them now that they're here? Well, to find out, let's open our Bibles to Genesis 3, where God shows us exactly where it all went wrong, where the first bad thing actually happened. 
Uh, in chapter 3, verse 1 to 5 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, if you were here last week, uh, Ross spoke about creation. He showed us how God made the whole universe, the earth, and finally us. We saw how he put everything in order and declared it good. We saw how God made us special in his creation, and he called us very good. At the end of chapter 2 and verse 25, God says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. I can't think of much better than that, so it sounds pretty good. But they're not like that today. Uh, we all know the world we live in is very different to the one God initially created, so what happened? How did we get from there to here? Well, firstly, we meet the serpent. We find out later in the Bible that this serpent is actually Satan. We're told how crafty he is, and as he talks to Eve, we can see this at work. See, Satan defies God. His goals are in opposition to God's. Everything that God put in order, Satan wants to turn to chaos. And he starts by talking to Eve about a tree. Now, even if you weren't here last week when we talked about it, you've probably heard about this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree in the middle of the Garden of Eden, the tree with the forbidden fruit. As much we don't know about this tree, but what we do know for sure is that God put it in the garden and he told us not to eat from it. In fact, back in chapter 2, verse 17, he promised, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. He's placed this tree here as a sort of invitation for us to trust him, him and his good design. By obeying and not eating from it, we acknowledge God as our king and creator. Satan really wants Eve to eat from this tree. Now, for those who don't know my wife, uh, Adriana, she's um, actually a nurse, which means that in our house, she's the medical expert. Whatever she says goes. And uh, knowing that she loves me and wants what's best for me, if she told me that I would certainly die if I ate something, I would definitely not eat that thing. I would trust her. I'd trust that she knew more than me and trust her to care for me. So when it's God, our creator, who made Eve, he made the whole earth, he made the tree that he's talking about, kind of makes sense to trust him about this. However you look at it, what makes perfect sense at this point in time is for Eve to listen to God and not eat from the tree. But Eve is tempted. So what's she going to do? Well, in verse 6 we read, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Now, what is going on here? Why, why would Eve do this? She knows God. She's met him personally. She knows he made her from Adam. She knows that he has authority over all creation. And all he asks is that she obey one rule. 
how could she do this to God? See, Satan is crafty. He knows how to tempt people with what they want. But in this case, he had to tempt Eve to betray a perfect and loving God. That's no small task. So how did he do it? Well, he tempted Eve with another God, herself. He said that if she ate the fruit, she would become like God. So by eating it, Eve shows that she doesn't completely trust God's word. Uh, She doesn't see the need to keep his laws and by aspiring to Godhood herself, she's basically saying that she'd rather be her own God. In fact, she wants this so bad that she's putting her life on the line to see if it's true. By eating from this tree, she's saying that she's betting against God and betting on herself instead. She saw the fruit, she desired it, then she ate it. And you might be asking, where's Adam during all this? What's he got to say about it? Surely he'll decide to trust God. But uh, verse 6 finishes, she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So now, Adam's eaten some too. The only two humans in all of creation, and with one rule between them, they both managed to break it on the same day. Two humans who, knew, who thought they knew better than God, who thought they could make better choices than the one who literally made everything, and that's what they did. They put themselves above God. They chose another authority over Him. They brought chaos to the order that He designed. And when we do that, it's called sin. Going against God by rejecting Him, ignoring Him, or just going our own way is sin. And that's what we're looking at today. This is the verse where sin first enters our world. So what's going to happen next? Well, we see in verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now already we can see something's not right. Something has definitely changed in the garden and doesn't feel good. Uh, Verse 8 then says, the man and wife Uh, The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It's never a good sign of a relationship when one party hides from another. So this is pretty bad. There's guilt and there's shame and separation between humans and their creator. But really, this is just their own reaction to being sinful. The real question is, what's God going to say? Well, they're about to find out. In verses 9 and 10, when God calls to Adam, Adam says he hid because he was naked. And in verse 11, God asks, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now, we know what Adam should say in this situation. We know the right thing to do when you've wronged someone is to fess up and throw yourself at their mercy. That's what a heroic man would do in this instance. But Adam does what you'd expect a sinful man to do. He plays the blame game. In verse 12, the man says, The woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. The pattern of blame continues with Eve in verse 13. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So what's God going to do? their creator who created them and their whole world, how, how will he repay their lack of trust? What are the consequences to their sinful actions? 
Well, first, God curses the serpent. He curses him to crawl on his belly and eat dust his whole life. He puts enmity or hostility between the serpent and Eve and all of her children. And God promises that one of these offspring will eventually destroy him. That all sounds fair so far. I don't think anyone would say God was being too harsh with the serpent. Uh, He messed things up. Now he's going to suffer and die for it. Pretty pretty straightforward. Punishment fits the crime. Uh, So what about Eve? Well, God gives her severe pains in childbirth. And he says that her desire will be for her husband and he will rule over her. Again, it's pretty straightforward. Pain as a punishment needs no explanation. We don't like it when things hurt. Uh, And the next part makes sense too. See, in this context, Eve's desire being for her husband means that she'll want to dominate him, to be his master, but he will rule over her. Her attempt to rule for herself against God's design has left her subjugated, more powerless than ever. And then we come to Adam. Adam's sin was similar to Eve's. He ate the same fruit, and when questioned, he lied to God. But in verse 17, God says to Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Now, when we read this, we should be really careful not to understand it as God saying, don't listen to your wife. Okay, that's not what he's saying here. Um, But where Adam went wrong is he listened to his wife over God, where he should have spoken up and resisted. He He said nothing and allowed himself to be led astray. Instead of doing the hard thing to follow God, he did the easy thing and gave in to sin. So it makes sense that God's punishment for Adam is a life of painful toil, where once the land would have provided everything mankind would need, now it's a constant struggle to survive. And it's a struggle that will end in death. No matter how much you sweat or stress to feed yourself, or gather riches, or improve your health. Death is certain in this world now. So this is God's response to sin. He brings judgment and punishment to those who go against him. He decides what everyone deserves for their actions, and he puts it in place. And we see that what he's put in place for Adam and Eve and everyone who comes after them, pain, struggle, separation, and death. That's ultimately the punishment we all end up with. A life of battling Satan and eking out our survival only to die, separated from God. The consequence for sin is death and no matter how hard they work or how well they behave from now on, that fate is sealed. It needs to be paid for. And what's really important to realize here, as hard as it is, is that God's not being too harsh we really shouldn't be surprised by any of it. This is exactly what God said would happen. By punishing humanity in this way, God actually shows that He's a God who keeps His word, that He is a God of justice. And it's not just to leave crimes unaccounted for. So, really, we should want a God who punishes sin, who cares enough to give us boundaries and enforce them. It it shows He loves us. So, That's the new world humanity has to look forward to, a broken relationship with the Creator, a life of struggle and inescapable death. Everything's going to be hard forever, and that's the end of it. And if I were God, that might be the end of it. That that might be where it it finishes there, but 
See, in God's position of being betrayed by humanity, if all I'd ever done was loved and protect them, when they have every reason to trust me, I'd probably just wipe them out and start again. I mean, by eating the fruit, they chose death, didn't they? But it's not really the end for humanity. In fact, it's actually just the beginning. And the reason is God's grace. God's capacity to love us and forgive us, even when we don't deserve it, is the reason the story doesn't end here. In verse 21 to 23, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he'd been taken. So even as he's kicking them out of paradise into the wilderness, he makes clothes to cover and protect them. He could have sent them out with nothing, but he's gracious. Of course, the biggest show of his grace for us is the punishment he puts on Satan. In verse 15, he tells him, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. See, here he's telling Satan that one of Eve's descendants will eventually destroy him. And we find out later in the Bible that who he's referring to here is his own son, Jesus of Nazareth. The descendant who will be promised to Abraham is the new covenant between God and man, the new promise of hope that God will give to humanity. In a way, it's, it's very effective foreshadowing of the real hero of the Bible yet to come, Jesus Christ, the one who can free us from sin and spare us from death. So this is how the story of the Bible really kicks off. God shows us a pattern that we will continue throughout history, a pattern of our sin leading to God's judgment to be saved only by His grace. We see it continue right here in Genesis in chapter 4 with Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel against God's advice and is cursed to be a restless wanderer on the earth. He worries that he will be killed, but God marks him so that he will be protected. Sin, judgment, grace. In Noah's time, the whole earth was so sinful, God decided to wipe them all out with a flood, but he shows grace by allowing Noah and his family to survive. Sin, judgment, grace. In chapter 11 of Genesis, humanity has been told to spread over the earth, but they decide to stay in one place. Then they decide to build a tower up to heaven to make a name for themselves. Now, surely this time God will just kill them all and end it, but he merely scatters them and confuses their language. Sin, judgment, grace. So we asked, why do bad things happen? Well, the short answer is because we sinned. We sinned, and sin demands judgment. And that can be really hard to wrestle with. It's tempting to join in the blame game and make it someone else's fault, but the fact is, bad things happen because we deserve them. And in fact, we deserve much worse than what we've been given. And we need to feel the weight of that sin. We need to understand just how badly we've wronged our Creator. We understand how we've rejected the invitation to trust Him with everything. 
in pursuit of our own power and our own pleasures, and we really need to understand the enormity of our wrongdoing, not so that we lose all hope and give up, but so that we can actually understand the enormity and power of God's grace. Because no matter how big the sin is, God's grace is bigger. No matter what judgment we've earned for ourselves, it can't match the power of God's mercy. What we see in the beginning of God's story is that his heart is for us, even when we go against him. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today as sinners. Um, We know that we've done wrong. We know that compared to you, we are like disobedient children. And we know that nothing we do makes us worthy of the grace you give us. There's, There's nothing we can do to put things right. But Lord, we thank you that you are a gracious God, that you have given us a way to make things right in your son, Jesus. Lord, we ask you today to keep us from despair, that we never undervalue the sin that we've done, that we never downplay the hurt we may have caused you or the offense that we've given, but that we recognize that it's no match to your grace and your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.